0: you open your Bibles again to 1 John chapter 5. We have memorized 1 John 1. That's been five months ago when we finished that. But let me ask you just to think for a moment. That's kind of the platform for what we've been working on throughout the whole book. As we think about 1 John chapter 1, where we read, you know, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. And John wants us to be confident in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If Satan can't keep us so distracted that we don't get to know Jesus Christ, the next thing, the next best thing is for us not to be confident in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so that we really don't say anything, we really don't want to talk about it, we're intimidated, maybe we doubt our salvation, which I know of very few people that haven't gone through that. Occasionally, but most people go through that time of soul-searching of, do I know him? How do I know that I know him? How can I know for certain that what I believe is true? And when you're with a group of believers, we do okay with that. And all of a sudden, we're by ourselves and we struggle. And John recognized that. And John, as he's talking with um, the believers and he's writing to them, you know, he's an older man at this point. Those of us who have more miles on the odometer than some of you here, you know, we have, we've changed. Even as a pastor in my late 20s and early 30s i'm different now than what i was then even the way i approach ministry the way the way i disciple people is different today than what it was john now is very old he's writing this and he is very concerned that people be secure And I find that even though I've been saved many, many years now, um, these truths get me very excited. I I enjoy what I'm learning. So John wanted them to be confident, and he wanted them also to recognize this, and that is, do you know this new relationship with Jesus Christ changes who you are? And as a new believer... (coughs) As a young believer, you may sometimes look at yourself and say, how come I'm not like everybody else? How come I'm different? What I used to be, my friends now, they don't want to hang around me anymore. And the things that we always did, now I don't enjoy doing those things anymore. And you begin to wonder, am I odd? Is something wrong with me? and John's going to address that. So let's just do a real quick flyby over the book to just get the big picture of what John wanted us to recognize as we come to our text today that Kevin read for us, which is, what do you know? Part one. But what do you know? So let's back up. First of all, in chapter one, we realize that Jesus is the eternal God Come in the flesh, that which we have seen, that which we have looked upon, that which we have our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. What does he keep saying? He keeps wanting us to know something very specifically, and that is Jesus existed before he came. Jesus was God before he came, and he took on flesh... And he said, I want you to know this so that you can have fellowship one with another. And truly, the fellowship that we enjoy is with the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. So we know Jesus is the eternal God. We know we can have a personal relationship with God. What do we learn about God? We learn that God is light. God is perfect. There is no darkness in God. We never have to wonder, is God ever going to do something which is sinful? We never have to wonder, will God this time get even? Does God ever react selfishly? Does he ever do things just because he's angry and just wants to get even or mean with me? And the answer is no. You can trust God. Everything God does is good, because in him is light and in him is no darkness at all. You know, we learn from chapter 1, as we're learning what do we know about our salvation? We learn that we can never walk in darkness and enjoy fellowship with God. We can't allow sin just to stay in our lives and think that we're going to just have this wonderful relationship with God. Why? Not because God doesn't love us, but because God is light. And it's, it's not that God is just saying, well, I've made my rules and you're going to follow my rules. It's God's character. It's God's personhood. God can't allow sin because he couldn't be God. The very things that we love about him would be the things that would be gone. If God said, ah, sin's not a big deal. You see, he reminds us that you can be cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, there's no one here that would say, well, I've, I've so blown it that I can't now be right with God. Either to be saved or even in your Christian walk. I just, some days I really get disappointed with myself. Some days I don't do it right. Maybe part of the day I'm doing pretty well and then other days I don't do well. And Satan then comes along, and of course, that, he tells me at first, sin is okay, and then once I sin, what does he say? I can't believe you did that. You're such an awful person. You, I mean, you see, he catches you coming and going. It's, you're trying to sneak through the door, and you're pinching yourself getting through the door, and then the door hits you as you've gone through it. And this is the way Satan is. And this first chapter, as John is describing, what is this new life you have in Christ? He says, understand something. He said, you can never walk in darkness and enjoy fellowship with God. That reminds us, oh, I don't want to walk that way anymore. I don't want to live that way anymore. You can be cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, you must admit you're a sinner. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, which reminds every one of us here today, we're all the same. But when you deal with sin, there's always hope. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. There's hope not only for forgiveness, there's hope for change. You see how all of this is so encouraging, but we come in today, all these years later, and we still struggle with the same things. Can this really be this way? Chapter 2, he then says... Understand something. Christians live differently. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. You see, that would be the normal thing. That would be what we would want to do. That's what we would expect to do. But if we sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see how he's walking us through so that we begin to have right thinking, right doctrine in our minds of what the Christian life is like. Christian living is a different kind of living because you can know God and you can know what God is like and you can get forgiveness, but once you are a believer, then believers are different. You see, God's word becomes important to us because it's God's word. God's people become important to us because they are God's people. He goes on to say, it's not odd to be different. Isn't that encouraging? He understood that's what it would be like for us and we would question and we would say, how come they're like this and I'm not like that anymore? He said, well, it's not odd to be different. All of God's people are different from the world. You know, and that's where we read love, not the world, neither things that are in the world. And we know those passages. And then following that, he says, now, if someone comes in, but they don't want to be like the family, you need to understand, well, the reason why they don't want to be like the family is because they're not part of the family. In chapter 3, then, he moves to Christians can live differently because they have God's nature in them. That is such an amazing thing in chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, you have God's nature implanted in you now that you're saved. You see how he's building this? He starts in chapter 1 and he helps you to get to know God and get to know how you can know for certain that Jesus Christ is God. And then he's going to tell you about what Christian living is like and what God is like. You know, so many people talk about they don't want to go to hell, they want to go to heaven, but they don't want heaven to be heaven, they want heaven to be just like hell. Only with whatever tweaks they don't like about hell. And they they would never use the word hell, but the reality is they don't want to live holy because that sounds oppressive, that sounds hard, that sounds difficult, but the reality is John was saying, oh no, no, holy is good, holy is happy. Holy has no guilt. Holy is a good thing for us. And so when you feel guilty about sin and you want to do right, he says, that's normal. You can live differently because you have God's nature in you. Christians are destined to look like and live like their father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear, we'll be like him. And everyone that knows this begins the process now, and we begin getting rid of things. We begin purifying ourselves so that we look like Jesus. We also learned from chapter 3 something that's really important. Christians can be different, not because we are really great, but remember, I'm hoping some of these will just jog your memory from what we've been studying over the last four months. How can we be different? One, because Jesus took our condemnation. That's in chapter 3. And Jesus defeated and destroyed Satan's authority to rule over us. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came very specifically to do these two things, to take our condemnation, to take away our sins, and second of all, to defeat and destroy Satan's authority. In chapter 4, Christians live differently, can live differently, because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. We aren't waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. That was a gift given by God. You now have been empowered. You have the ability to no longer give in to Satan because he no longer has the rule, the authority over you. Now we come to chapter 5. And I want you to notice, beginning at verse 5, we read this. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, that's going to be the premise for... Verses six through ten is really what, Lord willing, I hope to get through today. But I want you to notice as as you begin in chapter five, verse one: "Who, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God." You notice there's not a whole long list of things that you have to do. It is faith in Jesus Christ, who has done everything for us. Salvation is simple. It's not complicated. But we come to chapter 5, and knowing that whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ is the Christ is born of God, and in chapter in verse 5 we read, Who is he that overcometh, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? That now is going to be the real point that Satan's going to come after us, and that is this. How can you know for certain that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I mentioned to you, I had two ladies that came to my door. In fact, when I, just, I was just gone for like a day and a half or two days. And when I got back, I have had another little pamphlet that was shoved in my door. I'm not quite sure how they even did it because they got through my weather stripping. And most of the pamphlet was actually in my house. But it was from a group of people that when I talked with them, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. They believe that Jesus Christ is a God. They believe that Jesus Christ, that we can be like Jesus Christ. They believe that Jesus Christ did come, he was sent by God, but they don't believe that he is God. Which really just messes with so many different things with the fact that Luke focuses on the fact and Matthew, the beginning of Matthew, focuses on the fact That this one that would be born was God with us. That this one that would be born would be God from the highest, come down to earth. They would believe that Jesus is the angel, Archangel Michael pre- and post-incarnation. That's what their book says. That Jesus is really Michael, but Jesus is Jesus when he was here on earth, but everything before that was always Michael and everything after that is Michael. They would believe he is a created being just like Satan and Satan and Jesus are brothers. Does that cause you some heartburn? It should cause you some heartburn. Because if Jesus is not who he claimed to be, that he and his father were the same, and if you've seen him, you've seen the father, then you don't have salvation. Now John, rather than going, I can't believe you guys would believe that. How could you swallow that lie? What does John say? John says, let me explain to you how things that you know because you're a believer. And the first thing that you can know is that Jesus is God. So this morning, as we look at this text together, I want to encourage you, when people come to your door, don't feel like it's your responsibility to somehow convince them and change them. But they did come to your door. You can be confident with your doctrine and you can share if they're open. If the Holy Spirit's not working in their life, you don't have to feel like you have to kick that door down in their life. You just speak the truth in love and invite whichever one seems to be open, you can invite them to come back and say, if you would have questions about why I believe the way I do, I'd love for you to come back. Obviously today, you and your friend are out. You're not coming here for, to really learn the truth. You're wanting me to hear what you have to say. But if you would have liked to come back, I would love to tell you the truth. You say, I would be terrified to do that. Just use the scripture. John knew the questions would come. And notice what John does here. John says, he uses the word son of God in verse 5. But notice as we go to verse 6. How he uses them this is he talking about Jesus the Son of God that came by water and blood I love the fact that he uses the word came because it, he didn't just appear it was on purpose he says there's gonna be three witnesses and he says this is he that came by water And by blood, even Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't just say about the Son of God now. He's very clear. He says, Jesus, the Son of God, is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. And then he goes on and says, And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. So there are three witnesses we're going to look at very briefly this morning, and that is the witness of the water, the witness of the blood, and the witness of the spirit. So let's think about these three together. You see, all the way through Scripture, you always have to have corroborating witnesses, right? You can't just have one person. You've got to have multiple witnesses. That was the reason why they ran into problems when they tried to accuse Jesus. One person would say one thing, another person would say another thing. But they were never telling the truth. And so finally, they just got someone to say, well, he said that he would tear down this temple and in three days, he would build it back up again. There's your two witnesses. That's bad enough. Crucifying. So notice we have three witnesses that scripture presents for us. You know, even in the church, that same thing, Matthew chapter 18. You know, when you see a person caught in a sin trap, what do you do? You, you just go to the person individually. You go by yourself. You talk with them. Maybe someone who's wronged you. You go to that person alone. Then what does Scripture say? Then take one or two witnesses so that there is verification of what's going on. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, I think, 2 Corinthians uh, 13.1, Paul says that you always need multiple witnesses. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we read, you know, the wonderful gospel in just a few verses. Paul says, for I delivered unto you that which I also received. Um, he talks about how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then the next, let me see Next 10 verses, next 12 verses, are all witnesses, right? He was seen of Peter, then of the 12, then of 500 witnesses, and he goes through and he... What's he saying? All these people verify this. So John says, I'm going to give you three witnesses. First one, the water. First witness is the water. And He's going to describe the beginning of Christ's ministry, his baptism. He's going to describe the end of Christ's ministry, the blood, the cross. And then he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit who comes to live within us. So those are the three witnesses he's going to address. What about the baptism? What about the cross? And what about the Holy Spirit? which are identifiers to let you know that Jesus is the Christ. First of all, the baptism. It gives the purpose of why Jesus came. Specifically, verse 6, it says, this is he that came, and then he's going to give, by water and blood. These two, you can verify these proofs, and then he says, and by the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, remember, John the Baptist said, art thou he that should come? What's he talking about? He's talking about purpose. Why Jesus Christ came. What was his purpose for being here? John says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus Christ come? Grace and truth. Truth. When Jesus was baptized, he was identifying with us, and specifically identifying with sin. John focuses on the baptism, though. John, the apostle, focuses on baptism, not because he is necessarily focusing on humanity, but he's focusing on his deity. So, what do we find? If you look over in Matthew chapter 3, let's just look there together. Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. How did the Father, because as, as we read later, as you're looking that up, says, says, um, there are three witnesses that bear record. The Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and blood. These three agree in one. How did the Father verify? How did the Father... Um, through the baptism, verify that this was the Christ? Well, we read then, verse 13 of Matthew 3, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, the Father identified, the Father spoke from heaven, This is my Son. Baptism was an outward action that was picturing for these people that were being baptized, it was picturing what they needed. They needed repentance. They needed to change. And Jesus, in identifying with them, he came to deal with our condition. So the father says, this is my son. You can can know this person is the real one. Now, at the time this was being written, John was addressing something because they believed that Jesus was totally human, but not God when he was born. They didn't believe that Jesus was God until the baptism, and then the Holy Spirit came and indwelt him, and he became God, and then he, before he died on the cross, the, God left him and he was human again. And John's addressing doctrinal heresy. That, that's not true. Jesus was always God. He was always human, but always God. So we come and we look at, he says, in the water, talking about baptism, Jesus was verified who he was. But we also know through the blood at the cross, there was the witness of the Father at the cross. What were some witnesses that we see that God was saying, this is Jesus, this is, this is unique, he's different? Think about some things that happened at the cross. First of all, you have this supernatural darkness. That settles in now it was passover it was full moon it couldn't be an eclipse that caused just darkness to happen at the cross because to have a full moon the location of that moon could never block the sun but think about this for a moment there was something that was very odd from nine until noon it was bright daylight everyone could observe what was happening And then you have this darkness that settles in from noon until three. What was happening? Something unusual, something that everyone would notice. Luke, in Luke chapter 23, makes this statement. Luke says that the darkness covered over the whole land, over the whole earth. So every place that normally would have darkness had darkness and every place that should have had light had darkness during those three hours. There's no no scientific explanation for it. God was saying, I want you to notice something. Now, why darkness? Darkness is a sign of judgment in the Old Testament. It was something that the Jews would recognize. The ninth plague before the Exodus from Egypt was darkness. Remember, it was so dark, they couldn't see in front of themselves at all. Hmm. After the plague of darkness came the death of the firstborn son. Darkness preceded death. What do we find God was giving us a picture of? Darkness preceded the death of his son was a sign by God saying, this is my son. Also, um, we find the earthquake. Earthquakes in the Bible accompany divine revelation or an act of God. Remember when God appeared to Moses on Sinai, the whole mountain shook violently. The earthquake, Warren Wiersbe uses this, he says, the earthquake at Jesus' death connects Christ's death to the Sinai, suggesting that the earthquake at Calvary signified that the demands of the law were fulfilled in Christ. Darkness, earthquake. The rending of the temple veil. Solomon's temple was 30 cubits high. A cubit is 18 inches Herod's temple was 40 cubits high. So how many feet tall was this veil that was rent from the top to the bottom? And the veil that it's talking about is the veil between the holy of holies, between God and man. We find that this veil rips from top to bottom. We also find Now, scripture doesn't tell us the exact thickness of this Jewish um, tradition tells us that the veil in the temple was four inches thick. I mean, think about trying to rip a phone book. Think about trying to rip something. Now, Scripture does tell us how it was woven. It was fashioned from blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. You start thinking something that's four inches thick. I can't imagine the weight of something that is hanging that high. And then the scripture says it was ripped, but it was ripped from top to bottom. What was God trying to tell us? What was God wanting us to know? As we've talked about, God verified through the water that Jesus was the Christ. Now God, through the blood, The shed blood of Jesus Christ is verifying who Jesus Christ was. When Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, it is complete, it is finished, the veil was rent, and what happened now? Now there was access to God. The sin debt had been paid. All through the Old Testament, all these pictures from the... From the tabernacle, from the sacrifices, where all it had to be a spotless lamb, it had to be a sinless individual, it had to be someone who could be identified with, but someone who was not like. And you have Jesus Christ, and God says, just to make sure you know, when Jesus had gone through the darkness, the judgment had come, the firstborn was dying and Jesus says the penalty has been paid it's complete it's rent no more sacrifice no more subs- no more separation from god just as jesus body was broken the veil was broken jesus god was giving us all these pictures saying you can know that Jesus is who he said he was. And then we have the witness of the Spirit. Witness of the Spirit is different. All of these others were all external examples. They're all external verifications for us. But now we have the witness of the Spirit, which is the internal witness. John had told us in John chapter 15 that the Spirit bears witness of the Christ. But now we, we find that the Spirit who lives within us is the witness in the heart of every believer. It's the Spirit who gives us confidence to say, Ah, the Father, you are my Father. It's that Holy Spirit through the Word who now speaks to us and says, Jesus is the Christ. It's, it's the thing through the Word that causes us to feel at home when we read the Scriptures because it's the Holy Spirit who's speaking to us. You see, John wants us to have confidence and enjoy what God has provided. Let's just zoom out for just a moment. God, uh, John wants us to have confidence and enjoy what God has provided. John wants us to remember, you can have victory over this world. You don't have to keep giving in. Your life can change. You know, sadly, The world will do everything they can to give you counsel apart from God's word. But it's God's word which brings change. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It is as we read God's word that we can change. If you know somebody who is struggling with things, you don't want to remove God's word from them because you're removing the one change agent that can really bring about what needs to happen in their lives. So we find here, he says, John says, you can have confidence, you can have victory, but you need to be confident that what you believe is accurate. You know the truth, and the truth is going to give you liberty. Everything about 1 John has been to give you confidence that you can know God, that Jesus is God, that you can change. And in fact, don't think that it's odd that you have changed, that you're different now than what you used to be, because that's what happens in believers. And part of that is because God has injected, infused into you his DNA. When you get saved, you don't become God, but now you have that in you which god made for you and he says and it's right now even though you're not what you will be you're not you're not what you used to be what do you know john's going to give us several other things we're going to stop at this this morning but i want to encourage you with a couple things first of all let me encourage you that going to church doesn't make you saved It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ it is Jesus taking your place and you receiving his righteousness if you've already received the Lord as your Savior remember this change is normal you don't want to stay the way you are John reminds us we do sin. But John says, there are differences now. Now you do want to know what God's word says, and you hunger for that. He says, there is something better coming. The group of people that came to my house believe that everything ends. When you die, that's it. You now have the Holy Spirit living within you. And who is he that overcometh the world? He that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. There's hope for you today.